Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for being here. Welcome. I'm going to ask the children, you guys go back to your classrooms, be nice to your teachers, especially Mr. Eric. He needs that. And uh, we're thankful for our children. We're thankful for our children's ministry. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and find your way to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles that's in front of you. And you can find 1 Peter chapter 3 on page 954. And while you're finding your way there, I want to give you an update on Romania and just what's going on with the Ukraine crisis, the refugee crisis. As, as I mentioned last week, we as a church have been partnered with Deo Gloria, uh, Bisareca Deo Gloria in, in um, Cluj, Romania. And uh, we had... Uh, acquired a, a room downstairs, and with that room, we weren't sure what we were going to do, but God did. And so we uh, have created a refugee uh, care and distribution center. And through that care and distribution center, we have now set up, there will be eventually 60 beds for refugees coming in. Uh, you can see that they've already, in fact, what we did, we, we made a, they made a change. Uh, they decided that the bathrooms were upstairs. There were just a couple individual bathrooms downstairs, so they moved their welcome center downstairs, and they moved the care center upstairs because, because the bathrooms are there, and they, they actually, this week, they converted two bathroom stalls into showers for the refugees, and they've already hosted over 60 refugees. In fact, last night, they had uh, 10 orphans that were on their way, that are on their way to Slovakia. These are orphans, the youngest being five. They were, they were, they were chased out of an orphanage. Um, in uh, Ukraine, but what we've done, what the pastor, our pastor Unique has done is they've created a bridge from, from church to church to church. So um, I mentioned back in 2012, we were involved with planning a church in Moldova, Chisinau, Moldova, which is now very concerned about being invaded. And so what we're doing is, is people are going from that church in Chisinau to a church in Brelia, which is in, uh, in Eastern Romania, and then they'll be going to Cluj, and what we've done is created a bridge and tracking the refugees uh, so that they have a place to go, and then they're, they're being able to go to different parts of Europe, and so what we've done is uh, we, we can go ahead and look at a couple more pictures. They're providing all kinds of, of, of care goods. They've, they're providing food. They're providing um, all kinds of needs, whether it be housing, fuel, clothing, diapers, hygiene articles, and their church has just stepped up in so many ways. And, but our church has too. You know, we said we wanted to be able to raise like $10,000. To date, we've raised $20,000. And that's with about 40 unique gifts. In fact, that just raised up to 42 because I had two young children come up to me. And they had envelopes. And they said, this is our gift to you help people in Ukraine. And, and that just shows that the heart of the parents and the heart of our church for helping these people. Um, let me just go to the next picture. The first night, uh, Pastor Unica, the first wave of refugees was this family. You got four generations here. You have a mother who's pregnant, her daughter, her mom, her grandmother, and grandfather. And so it's four generations, the first night. And then I'll show you this next picture. This was Friday night, uh, Pastor Unica. They... They hosted this family, um, and there's two people over 75, two women over 75, and, and the stories are really heartbreaking. You can pray for me. Uh, I'm going to Romania this week, 
and want to just encourage and support the people there and let them know, the Romanians and, and even some Ukrainians, that they're not alone, that there's people praying for them. And there's, there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot we can't do, but there's a lot we can do, and we can pray. And my prayer is that you as a church will be so aware of what's going on there that your heart would be continually moved to pray. As I, as I, and I, I have an issue. I wake up a lot at night. And when I wake up a lot at night, I'm just, God has put these people on my heart and I'm praying for them. And I pray that we as a church will be praying for them also. But again, thank you for helping. Thank you for stepping up. Thank you for serving. Let me pray for these people. Father, I thank you for just the work that you're doing all over Eastern Europe uh, just to help this refugee crisis. And Lord, as I've been praying every day, I pray, Lord, that you would just stop this war, that, that you would turn the tanks around, you would turn the missiles around, and Lord, there would be peace. But Lord, for these people that are going through struggles, I pray that they would look up, even as life is down, that they would trust in you, that they would look to you. And pray, Father, I pray for those that don't know Jesus, that this would be an opportunity for them to turn to you to have eternal life, knowing that there's something better than what's here on earth, and that's spending eternity with you in heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you for the church, the church stepping up to be the church for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. First Peter chapter 3, did you know that every one of you is a preacher? And you're thinking, no, I'm not. Nope. Every one of you, you're a preacher. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, preacher. If you didn't know it, your life preaches a message. The word preach in the Bible is the Greek word caruso. It means to, to proclaim, to herald, to announce publicly. In other words... Your words, your thoughts, your actions, they preach a message. The question is, what are they preaching? What kind of message is your life preaching? In fact, what does your life preach to your spouse or to your children or to your coworkers or to your neighbors or to your brothers and sisters in Christ? What message is your life preaching? Does it preach a love for the Lord, a passion for his word, a passion for prayer? Does it preach a commitment to holiness, a dedication to faith, a heart for service, a passion for souls? Or... Does it preach a weak faith, a focus on self, a rebellious spirit? The big idea of my message today is this. Every life preaches a message. The question is, what does yours preach? Now, today's passage is one of the most controversial, and in some cases, some of the most, one of the most misunderstood and misused and abused by uh, verses in the Bible. And you're here, and we get to, we get to listen. The fact is, we know that First, uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and all Scripture is profitable. All of it. 
even this passage here. And the fact is, when you combine these verses with the rest of the verses in the Bible, they provide a path to a healthy and fruitful marriage. One of the things Pam and I learned early on as we started developing a marriage ministry, God has given us all we need for healthy, ministry, for healthy marriages. The problem is we don't line up. God's people don't line up with what God's word says. If we would just line up with what it says and trust God to work through that, we could have amazing marriages. We need to be not just hearers of his word, but doers of his word. Let me read chapter 3, 1 through 7. We're going to focus on 1 through 6 today. But don't worry, men. Your time is coming. Chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs or joint heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, you can't read the, this passage divorced from the rest of Scripture, especially Ephesians chapter 5, which is another great marriage passage in the Bible, where even in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husband, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're going to talk about that, but the whole idea of, of unconditionally, sacrificially loving your wives with deference, but also it must be read in light of Philippians chapter 2. Let me put this up for you. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Think about how that changes a marriage right there. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Husbands, count your wives more significant than yourselves. Wives, count your husband more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not just a passage for marriage. It's a passage for all of life, for all of Christians. So what I want to do now is I want to look at four areas of your life that preach a message. Four areas of your life that preach a message. Here's the first one. Your submission preaches a message. 
Your submission preaches a message. Look again at verse 1. Likewise, wives, who's he speaking to? Wives. Be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. He says, likewise, in a similar way, in the same way in which he's been talking about really since the beginning of, of, of chapter 2. The whole idea of, of being subject to governmental authorities, being subject uh, to uh, employ, employees, being subject to their employers. That word uh, subject, it's, it's hupatasso. We've talked about that. It's a compound word. It means to order under. It, it speaks of rank. It does not speak of one being inferior to another, but it's a position. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's part of God's ordained order. Men are not superior to women. Women are not superior to men. We are co-heirs with Christ. But this speaks of a sovereign order ordained by God. Wives have a different role than men. Men have a different role than women. It's when those roles get mixed up, what do you have? Chaos. And that's what you have in so many Christian marriages these days. The fact is, most of you men know what I say when, you understand what I'm saying when like our wives are not inferior to us. Because we kind of like, like I just look at my own wife and I'm, there's never a day I could ever say like she is inferior to me. And some of you guys are like right there with me. You, you understand that about your wives. That's not what this is talking about. In fact, Romans 2.11 says there's no partiality with God. Galatians 3.28, I'll put it up for you, says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Husband and wife are one in Christ. When he says likewise, this deals with attitude, and it's really the attitude of the heart. It means a willingness to submit to your husband's authority and leadership in marriage. That is hard for some to swallow. The culture goes totally against that. But men, I want you to hear me on this. Nowhere in scripture does it say you are to require your wife to submit to you. You are, no, you are not required or called to lord it over. In fact, as men, we should be deferential, deferential to our, our, our wives. We should love them sacrificially. We, should, we, should, we, we never make a decision without knowing what's best for her. We don't make decisions based on what's best for us, but it is wives submitting to the loving leadership of their husbands. The problem many times is husbands don't lovingly lead. As spiritual leaders, we'll get into that in a minute. This word is the same word in the New Testament of Jesus submitting to his parents. Of citizens being subject to governing authorities in Romans chapter 13. Of Christ the Son subjecting to God the Father in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Of church members to, to church leaders in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and 16, of the church to Christ in Ephesians 5, 24, of servants to masters, of, of believers to God. 
And none of these relationships are ever reversed in Scripture. They're never called to be reversed. You never see God the Father submitting to Jesus the Son. Jesus came in obedience to the Father. You never see Christ submitting to the church. Nor are wives, nor are husbands to to submit or order under their wives. But again, wives are never inferior to their husbands. They are joint heirs with their husbands, as we see in verse 7. So there's 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 an equality, there's an importance, there's a dignity and an honor in this passage. One of the curses in the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, says, women, your desire will be for your husband. And your husband will rule over you. And so we see this this cosmic battle from the beginning. I remember the first time as a new believer, I heard, women, your desire will be for your husband. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. The minute this hunk of burning love walks through the door, she can't resist me. It didn't take me long to realize that's not what that meant. Her fallen desire (laughs) will be to usurp the harmonious relationship that God had ordained. To be tempted to a life of self-will to control her husband. And the husband will be tempted to, to lord it over. But that's not the way God designed it. That's why so many struggle in marriage. Men are to lovingly leave, lovingly lead and serve their wives. And wives are to lovingly submit to the leadership of their husbands. But because of what the curse says, men or women, your desire will be for your husband control your husband, to fix your husband, to change your husband, to lecture your husband, to nag your husband. But God says you're to lovingly submit to your husband and to his leadership. But men, that's a call to step up. That's a a call to be the the man, the husband, the spiritual leader that God calls you to be. Instead of this harmonious union where a husband and wife work and live and, and dwell together as one flesh, you get this. Why? Because men aren't lovingly leading and women aren't Willingly submitting. You get the vertical right, the horizontal falls in place. You hear me say that all the time. If you get your life lined up with what God's word says, this doesn't become a chore. This becomes a delight. The context here is of wives winning over their 
unbelieving husbands. Notice what it says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they do not obey the word, it suggests a pattern of ongoing disobedience. Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won. They may be won over to Christ without a word by the conduct of their wives. Women, if you have a husband who does not live by the pattern of what God's word says, is not lovingly leading, isn't it a little bit more difficult to submit to that? For sure. I mean, I'm not a wife. I wouldn't know, but I can only imagine I'm a human being. But that doesn't change what God's word says. And we preach the word of God unapologetically. Look, look what Colossians 3.18 says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That's the key. As is fitting to the Lord. What, is the, what does the Lord say? In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 2, 22 through 24. There we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so you see this, this ordained order here. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now this does not say subject yourself to men or submit to men, or submit to other husbands. It's to your own husband, as to the Lord. And how do you win them over? By preaching. By preaching a message without saying a word. Without a word. It's the title of the message, without a word. Now, a lot of us can preach a message without a word, but it's not usually a great message. Just go into a mirror and make some facial expressions that you might sometimes make towards your spouse and realize what you're saying to them. Because so often we make a facial expression thinking, you know, because we're speaking from the inside. We make this facial expression and we like, you know, and they like, they're, they're saying what? And like nothing. No, you just said something. You may not have said a word. Go, go look in a mirror. Not right now, but look in a mirror. Understand what you're saying. Because you're saying a lot. The reason I know that is I've tried it. I'm thinking, I can't believe I just said that to her. And I didn't say a word. Your gracious submission preaches a powerful message. I want to step, step back for a minute and say that, okay, we became believers in 1998. When I met Pam, she owned one of the largest women-owned businesses in Nevada. We were real estate developers. We owned restaurants. She owned her own construction, real estate development, and she was, we were partners in this other stuff. And so she was used to working with men. And somebody gave her a book on biblical womanhood a couple months after we became believers, and it rocked her world in a good way. Because she realized that she wasn't lining her life up with what God's word says about a biblical woman. And so she started changing. That preached a message to me. 
Now, it wasn't a perfect message. In fact, we'd, we'd had seven years, we, we, we had a lot of baggage. We had a lot under the bridge, and we had to deal, we still have to deal with stuff. Work through. I mean, she's married to me. That's not an easy chore. But the fact is, it's as you commit, I'm going to start living out what God's word says. Because I want to see things change. And it starts with me. And one of the things we talk about a lot is marriage is not a 50-50 deal. It's like, if you get to hear, then I'll get to hear. Wrong. It's 100%, 100%. Even if I'm at 50%, she's at 100%. Or vice versa. And I need to get to 100%. Without a word, you win them over by preaching and husbands are more likely to be won over by godly living, starting with biblical submission, than by words of their wives. And the fact is, submission is an attitude of the heart. As I submit my life to the Lord, I can submit to those over me. It's like the story I heard of a little boy that was told to sit in a corner. And his comment was, well, I'm sitting on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing straight up. I mean, that's not submission. It's the heart. Some of you with kids, you understand that. That's defiance. That's not submission. And it's reflected in your speech, your tone of voice, your facial expressions. There's a qualifier here. Women are never told to submit when asked to sin. Never. Ever. And if a man is walking with the Lord, he would never even ask his wife to sin. Whether it be what they watch, whether what, what they do with their books, how they, how they treat people. Your submission preaches a powerful message. Second, your conduct preaches a message. Okay, finish this statement. Actions speak louder than, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Actions speak louder than words. In other words, your conduct preaches a message. Look at verse 1 again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The emphasis in this section is on conduct over words. When they see, it's to observe, to look upon, to inspect. Based on God's word here, what will have the greatest influence on your husband, women? Not your words, but your conduct. Whether it's good or bad. In fact, men, this is true for you. What will have the greatest impact on your wives? It's your conduct. Not what you say, because if what you say doesn't match what you do, then you become what? Like a hypocrite. You're not living it out. Wives, do you want to influence your husband for the Lord? I would think you would. And I know there's many of you that are single here. And I'm so glad that you're here because you get to hear 
some of these truths and start applying them to your life before you do enter into the marriage covenant and thus you may eliminate a lot of pain. But there's two characteristics that they need to see, that husbands need to see in your conduct. First is your respectful conduct. That's what he says in, in, in verse, verse 2, your respectful conduct. That's the same word, respectful is the same word that's used uh, for reverence or honor or fear. It's the word used to describe our fear of God. It's a healthy respect. It's a, it's a healthy honoring. Wives are to respect their husbands. So our fear and respect and reverence are attractive to God, and so is a woman's respect for her husband. We, when we honor and respect God, that's, that's honoring to him. Not nagging. Let me ask you, do you think that a continual nagging by a wife who proclaims Christ will draw a husband to the Lord or draw them from the Lord? especially an unbelieving husband. It may drive them crazy, but won't drive them to Christ. In fact, Proverbs 19, 13 says it's like a continual dripping of rain that never stops. First characteristic is respectful conduct, but second is pure conduct. We see that again in verse 2. It, it, means, pure, it means chase, free from moral defilement. Again, submission never means submitting to sin. A wife who wants to win her husband to Christ must live in obedience to God. She must be morally pure. Her husband trusts her. She's not a flirt. She won't use deception or manipulation or dishonesty to get her way. Pure conduct. She'll learn to handle her anger in a biblical way. Her hope will be in God. We see that in verse, chapter 3, verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. This is so she can exhibit respectful and pure conduct even to a difficult husband. And I know some of you wives have not easy husbands. But you can win them over without a word by respectful conduct, your pure conduct. Husbands, don't make it hard on your wives. Love your wives. Agape your lives, Ephesians 5.25. Unconditionally love your wives and give yourselves up for them. It's a sacrifice. If you live in a sacrificial way towards your wives, going to make it a lot easier on them. Men, if you truly love the Lord, then you're going to want to honor the Lord in your thoughts, your words, and actions. Women, the same is true for you. Men, you need to set the spiritual thermostat in your homes, not be the spiritual thermometer. You know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermostat over there tells us what we want the temperature to be. A thermometer tells us what the temperature is. Men should set the spiritual temperature in their homes. And it starts with stepping up and being the spiritual leaders in your life. I want to I just, I, I reviewed this on, on Friday at our men's Bible study, but I want to just bring this 
back up real quick. Traits of a spiritual leader. First of all, a love for the Lord. There's this love for the Lord that, 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 that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all of our mights. That should, that should drive everything about us. And not just a love for the Lord where we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but also a devotion to his word. A, a devotion to his word. Let me ask you, do you have a devotion to his word? Because if you have a devotion to his word, you will love the Lord because you understand who the Lord is. And that starts changing you from the inside out. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. But not only a, a love for the Lord and a devotion to his word, but a passion for prayer. And you can't help but want to pray if you love the Lord because you want to speak with him. You want to spend time with him. You want to be changed by him. And that leads to a dedicated faith where there's this dedicated faith. These all preach a message to those around you. Men, as spiritual leaders, you need to step up and live this out. There's also a commitment to holiness. I know who I am in my heart and I need to repent of it. And my desire needs to walk in holiness. Six, a heart for service. And seven, a passion for souls. You have a husband like that? And we all have a long way to go, but that makes it easier for wives to submit to the spiritual leadership of their husbands. So women, without a word, let them see your respectful and pure conduct. Your conduct preaches a message. That brings us to the third message. Your beauty preaches a message. So meet Peter moves from beauty, or excuse me, from conduct to beauty. And he uses this sharp contrast between the outward appearance and the inward adorning. Look at verse 3 and 4. Do not let your ador adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning being the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. We live in a world that is consumed with external adorning. That word adorning, it's a word for jewelry or decorative components of clothing and dress. External adorning was a big deal 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you, has anything changed? Not at all. You just look at the magazine racks as you check. Well, don't look at the magazine racks. But what are they selling? Beauty secrets. How to lose weight. How to woo a man. How to have a smooth skin. How to, how to have hair. Uh, hair color, I, I got that one. <laughs> ten ways to be sexy, ten steps to flat abs, and so it goes. All are outward. Peter's not saying here, don't take care of yourselves. But what he's saying is for a godly woman, outward adornment should be in moderation, and the emphasis should be on the 
inner adornment of the heart. God, Peter's getting to the heart here. We live in a social media selfie culture where so much emphasis is put, in, put on the outward and it's killing our girls, literally. And parents, we have to be careful. We have to watch that. The focus should be on the inward adornment of the heart. Let me just take a minute to step back and One of the challenges that we have in this day and age is girls, young ladies, women are walking out of the house not realizing that what they're wearing is not modest but is causing problems, especially for men because men are visual and women know that. So as a man, I'm asking the women to give us a break. Help us out. And dads, I mean, Eric Tucker's not here, but I, he's told me the story many times as, as he's got three daughters. Is like, as they're getting ready to walk out the door, he says, nope, turn around. Nope, turn around. And uh, the fact is, is that as men, we have to step up and be the leaders in our families, and we have to say, okay, that's not appropriate. Because if we don't, who will? Notice what's attractive here. Look at verse 4. But let your adorning being the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. God's make it very clear what he loves. It's the inner beauty. And that inner beauty of a godly woman, it's imperishable. And though the outside may perish, the inward beauty remains and it grows and it becomes more and more beautiful as you develop that. It's the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That gentle, it, it's the word for meek. It's a word that describes Jesus. Uh, it, it, it's power under control. It's not insistent on its own rights. It's not pushy or self-assertive. It's quiet. That means to be tranquil or undisturbed from without. This is true beauty, and it's precious in God's sight. That word precious, it means costly, expensive, or of great value. Try this. Next time you go into a CVS or Walgreens or Fry's, ask the cashier for a magazine that has articles that deal with imperishable beauty, that teach how to submit how to have a respectful and pure conduct, how to have a gentle and quiet spirit and just see how they respond. That should be interesting, right? Crazy. How does a Christian woman win over her husband for Christ? She preaches a message with her submission, her conduct, her, her beauty of her heart. It's a message without words. And finally, your influence preaches a message. Your influence or your influence says preach a message. Now, Peter is not proposing a new standard. What he does is he points to women who are godly influences. Look at verses 
5 and 6. He goes, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So this is a, a certain section of women. Their lives was all about hoping in God. This is how they adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's not like Lord capital L. It's Lord Sir. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If, if, if that's the way you live, then that's, becomes, that's your influence. And the key is not only who's influencing us, but who are we influencing? And this is where it's so important for us, for you as moms, to understand you're influencing others around you. Women who focus and sufficiency in the Lord and not in men or money or merchandise or glamour. They're the ones that are precious in God's sight. Their focus and their sufficiency is in Christ. Who's influencing you? In fact, who are you asking to hold you accountable? One of the things I love about our women's ministry there's an accountability. Uh, our small groups, that should be happening in the accountability groups when the men break up with men and women with women. Like how can we, how can we be more Christ-like, walk in faith? How can we apply these words to our lives? Not by being, walking around being a bunch of weird people, but just living out God's truths, helping one another, encouraging one another. Your life preaches a message. A godly woman is a woman who lives in a way that is precious in God's sight because they have put their hope in God. And it's all because of the gospel. Listen, if it wasn't for the gospel, we wouldn't even be having this, this, this conversation. Because prior to Christ, we're all going living a certain way. We're, we're living based on sin and self and self-focus. But God came to redeem that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to be, the, to be the sacrifice in our place, to be the substitute, the spotless lamb who died in our place so we would not have to suffer for our sins. He died in our place and he was raised on the third day and whoever, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Their life has changed. If anyone's in Christ, their new creation, the old is gone, behold, the new has come. There's a change from the inside out. Now we need to start living out our position in Christ. We need to practice our position. And we've got to be careful that we're not holding out and being rebellious. We're like, you know, we're, we're, the Bible becomes like going to a Luby's. I don't know if they have Luby's. They don't have Luby's in the West, but they have them in Texas. It's a, it's a cafeteria. And you walk through, and I mean, terrible name for a cafeteria, Luby's. I mean, it's just like, What? It just makes me think of Jello, and but 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 you go into a Luby's and you just pick and choose what you want. It's cafeteria Christianity. I like this. I like. I do not like that green Jello, and I'm not taking it. That's not the way we align with God's word. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, you want to have a great marriage that glorifies God. 
Start with you. Men, start with you. Be the spiritual leaders God calls you to be. Women, submit to the loving leadership of your husband. I, I could tell you the first time Pam started saying, Bill, I want to just kind of serve you and help you. I mean, it was weird for me. It's like, what are you doing? She wanted to clean my desk. She goes, I want to help you. And I was like, where did this come from? But there was conviction there. And I know it was a struggle for her at first, but like you pray for God, give me the, give me the heart for this. I want to honor you, not just what my feelings are. God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's start living as children of light. Our lives preach a message. What is your life preaching?